Well, a good husband loves to serve his wife. Good husbands recognize uh, the stress that wives have of trying to keep the home, and they will often help by doing just little things like doing the dishes, uh, taking out the garbage, maybe repairing a leaky tap, those sort of things. They gladly do those things. But one of the tasks that husbands are perhaps not so glad to do is when they are asked to run to the grocery store. This really shouldn't be an overly difficult task, but it never quite goes that easy, does it? Usually wives recognize their husband's brain doesn't work quite as effectively as theirs, and so they try to help out by giving their husbands a list. And they'll put things on there like apples and lettuce and tissue. But the problem comes in the fact that wives usually have something specific in mind when they say those things. When they say apples and lettuce and tissue, they have in their mind what kind of apples and lettuce and tissue they want you to get. But the list they kindly write out for those husbands is not so specific. And so these poor husbands get to the grocery store They go to the apple section, and what do they see? They see yellow apples, red apples, green apples, off-red apples, off-green apples, off-yellow apples, Macintosh, Golden Delicious, Red Delicious, Spartan, Granny Smith. And they get to the lettuce section, and what do they see there? They see romaine, iceberg, leaf, butterhead, pre-mix, spring mix. Then they head to the tissue aisle and find out it is indeed a tissue aisle. The whole aisle is filled with tissue. One ply, two ply, three ply, scented, unscented, soft, hard, over easy, super soft. No, maybe not over easy. Super soft. And then if that's not enough, the boxes all have pretty pictures on them. And so now these poor husbands not only have to get the right kind, but the box actually has to match the decor of the house. Now from what I've heard from these husbands, going to the grocery store is high stress just because of all the choices that are offered. And so what they need is a healthy dose of discernment. They need to discern what their wife means by the things on that list. But it's not just husbands in grocery stores that have this problem. Our entire society is based on options. And the problem is is that we can't always test everything. We We can take cars for a test drive, but it's usually a little bit more difficult to test an apple or to test a tissue. You can't just put it back. Well, today uh, we want to look at a command from the Bible, and that command is to test everything. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You've already had a break from 1 Corinthians for a couple of weeks, and we're not going to go back there uh, today, totally. This is kind of an uh, appetizer to a passage that we're going to go next week in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll show you uh, how it is that in just a little bit. But turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 22, just a very short section. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says there, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of of evil. These are really uh, quick-hitting, rapid-fire commands. And they're addressed here to the church. If 
you go back to verse 12, it says, I request of you, brethren, or in verse 14, I urge you, brethren. These are uh, general commands on how Christians ought to conduct themselves. Well, I want to look at one of those comprehensive, all-encompassing commands today, and that's the one in verse 21, where it simply says, test everything. And some of your versions might have examine everything. It says, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. It's a concise, uh, absolute comprehensive statement. Paul tells us to test everything. Everything needs to be under scrutiny. Not just some things, everything. There's no exceptions. And then we're, we're told to, uh, to cling, to hold tightly to everything good and to toss away everything that's evil. What Paul is talking about here is this area called discernment. He wants people in the church to be marked by discernment. Just like we're to be rejoicing people, and we're to be praying people, we're to be thankful people, he also wants us to be discerning people. I think this is an exhortation that is uh, particularly pertinent for us, and even for the church. Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. It's one of his earliest letters, written likely to a fairly young church. And being young believers, they were probably not yet very discerning. They were susceptible to deception. And so Paul tells them, among other things here, to test everything. Sadly, I think us Christians living here in the West in the 21st century are susceptible to that as well. It just seems that everything goes these days within the wider church. In the name of kindness and humility and toleration and and non-confrontation, everything seems to be acceptable. And added to that, everything sounds good. Anything can be marketed, anything can be packaged to sound good. Sadly, the result of all these forces working together is that these teachings and these teachers creep in unawares. Wolves can appear in sheep's clothing and draw away disciples after them. The Bible warns of these sort of things. People are susceptible to being led astray because they have become largely unable to be able to discern truth from error. And that's really what we're talking about here. Tim Challies, who has a book called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, defines discernment as the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. So that's sort of the definition we're working with here. I put that in your sermon notes there. As it's used in the Old Testament and uh, in Proverbs, we just studied a passage on Proverbs this, uh, in Proverbs chapter 1 on this same subject a few months ago. Uh, as it's used there and it's used in the New Testament, it carries the idea of separating, of, of being able to discern whether something is true or false, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. And so I want to try to answer a few questions this morning along the lines of discernment. How can we be discerning? And what are our allies as we seek to be discerning? How can we grow in discernment? How can we possibly test everything? But first I want us to think about the need for discernment. Is is this something that we need in this day and age? Or is this something that's just sort of outdated and that just goes for a young church um, in, the, in the first century? Well, I would say without hesitation that yes, this is something that we need to hear in our day and age. Like I said before, I think there's great confusion within the church today. Even 
in the wider church, we have trouble discerning right from wrong. Everything sounds good. Nothing sounds wrong. And, and I think this is part of the problem. Just like the marketing companies can make everything to sound good, so can Satan, the deceiver. And usually the things that creep into the church do indeed sound good. And the problem is, is that they are mostly almost good. Discernment is the ability to see behind that. John Murray says the difference between truth and error is not a chasm, but it's a razor's edge. Spurgeon says discernment is not a matter of simply telling uh, the difference between right and wrong. It's it's, It's the ability to be able to tell the difference between right and almost right. It's these subtle differences that can trip us up and that can eventually lead people astray. Of course, the ultimate example of that started right in, in Genesis chapter 3 of Adam and Eve who were deceived by the serpent's almost right words. And that led the entire human race into sin. And so in this age of tolerance, where our culture no longer believes in absolute truth, the church finds itself caught up in this sort of murky soup, this unclear, uh, sort of foggy, everything goes, everyone's opinion is valid kind of a culture. We live in a general state of confusion. And so, so when you take this call to test everything into this day and age, it, it couldn't come at a better time. At a time when no one's sure of anything, we need to hear this call so that we can gain some sense of clarity. How do we know that we need to hear this call for discernment? Well, the books that I see on the bestseller list, just looked at this again in the last couple of days, for the category of religion and spirituality, convince me that we need to hear this call for discernment. The fascination that Christians seem to have about reading about uh, people's alleged experiences of heaven is just one example. One book has been on the bestseller list for a whopping 1,061 days. I just read a paper from a, from a church that details all the extra biblical information in that book as sort of a warning for their flock. If God would have, would have wanted us to know what heaven is like, he would have told us. It's not information he would have withheld from us, but he does for his good reasons. The popularity of self-help preachers convinces me that we need to hear this call for discernment. The general confusion I see on how to apply uh, the Bible, how to apply it to daily life, convinces me of the need for discernment. We're living in an age when we are in a dire need of discerning Christians. This is a time for people to dig into the Word so that they can hear God's voice and that they can examine the voices of our uh, culture. This is a time, just like husbands who know their wives, where Christians need to know the truth. And by knowing the truth, we will be all the more equipped to, as Titus 1.9 says, refute those who contradict sound doctrine. This is a time to test everything and hold fast to the good and abstain from every form of evil. So if discernment is the need of our day, we need to figure out how we can attain it, how, how we can get it. Most of you are discerning in other areas. Some of you are very discerning in what you eat. 
You count the grams of fat and everything that goes into your mouth. Some of you are very discerning in your investments. If you need surgery, you practice discernment in the doctor that you choose. Well, I would encourage you to use those abilities to discern and direct them to issues of truth as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the call to test everything applies to the church, and we should all seek to know what to look for as we evaluate teachings and teachers. 1 John 4, verse 1 tells us to test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. In Acts 17, 11, we're told about the Bereans who were examining the Scriptures daily. Why? To see whether the things even Paul and Silas were telling them if those things were true. We need to be those kinds of people who examine things and to test things, using the Scripture as our standard, as our measuring stick, using the Scriptures, the Word of God, as our plumb line. So how can you become more discerning? How can you develop your discernment? How can you up your discernment quotient? Well, the Bible gives us a few ways. First on the list is simply to pray. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Pray to God for wisdom. Later, James contrasts godly wisdom with the wisdom of the world. The two are, are not the same. And so you can pray for godly wisdom. You remember King Solomon. In a, in a dream, God told Solomon to, to ask for anything that he wanted. And Solomon says in 1 Kings 3.9, Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. Solomon prays for discernment, and we read that his request pleased the Lord, and he gave him a number of other things in addition to his request. I know for myself, when I first began to sense that God was calling me to be a pastor, the thing I prayed most uh, fervently for was wisdom and discernment. I was uh, deathly afraid that I might say something that might lead people away from the truth. And so I prayed hard and still do for discernment so that I might be able to divide, to divide truth from almost truth. I actually feel like by nature I'm not a very discerning person. If someone tells me something or I read something and it's, uh, it's well argued, then I'm prone by nature to believe it. And so I pray constantly that God would help me with that. And he's uh, taught me over the years never to believe every, anything the first time I hear it. I want to be able to take that and, and pray that God would give, it, give me discernment and to put it under this, the filter of God's word, to test it, to see whether it's true. And so I encourage all of you to make it a habit to pray for discernment. God will grant that request. When you do that, you you're actually acknowledging God's supreme wisdom and your dependence on Him to grant you the wisdom that you need. So pray. For the second and third reasons, I want us to go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 19, or verses 19 and 20. The two previous commands before the one to test everything are in those verses. It says there, Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophetic utterance. These are separate commands, but I would argue that they are also connected with verse 21, where it says, examine everything carefully. If you extinguish the influence of the Spirit, if you despise prophetic utterances, you will diminish your ability to test everything. 
and to be able to discern what is good and what is evil, to know what to hold on to and what to abstain from. In order to grow in the area of discernment, you've got two major allies in the Spirit and the Word. How do you become more discerning? You need to depend on the Holy Spirit, and you need to heed the Word of God. And those two are always connected. The Holy Spirit is the one that sheds light on the Word of God. He is the one that helps understand, helps you or helps us to understand what it says. He's the one that takes what are just words on a page and turns them into words that are living and active. In John 16, 13, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the one that will guide you into all truth. He'll help you know the truth by guiding you into the truth. He'll help you see what's true and what's false. Connected with the Holy Spirit is the Word of God, the Bible. Both of these are allies in your desire to become a discerning person. Now you might be asking how I get verse 20 to mean the Word. It says there, do not despise uh, prophecies or prophetic utterances. Well, my answer and how that is the word is that prophetic utterances or prophecies were a common occurrence in the early church because there was not yet any written New Testament. They didn't have the Bible in written form, or at least the New Testament in written form, when, this, when, when Paul was writing this. And so the church relied on people who would speak forth and who would proclaim truth. These would be words of proclamation, but they were never in opposition to what was already revealed. In fact, these prophecies were probably restatements of what God had or, or Jesus had already said or what was already written. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about prophecies in the context of the church, but they were for the purposes of building up edification, of, of comfort. They were spoken words that needed to square with God's word but were used to provide instruction and encouragement. Today we might call those prophecies the proclamation of the word or the preaching of the word. So do not despise prophecies. Do not take lightly the preaching of the word. Prophecies also referred to what was already the written word there in the Old Testament. 2 Peter 1, 19-21 says, And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So here is this uh, prophetic word, which is also called the, the prophecy of Scripture. It's the written word. All of that to say that prophetic utterances are connected with the Scriptures, either as they're preached or as they're written. And we're told not to de despise or to downplay or to degrade the Word of God. On that list of bestsellers I mentioned before is another book that lots of people, even in churches, are reading. A book called Jesus Calling. You might be familiar with it. In this book, the author, Sarah Young, actually claims to speak for God. She speaks of God in, in, in the first person. doesn't speak of someone saying something, God saying something. She just says, I have heard from God and here is what he is saying. 
In the introduction of that book, she writes something that I think gets right to the reason for the popularity for stuff like that among Christians. She writes this, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Did you hear that? She yearned for more. Those three words, in effect, say that the Bible is not enough. It is not sufficient. We need something more. In her review of this book, Kathy Keller, you might have heard of Tim Keller, as a pastor of a, of a church in New York, Kathy Keller is his wife. She quotes uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, a preacher in a church in Philadelphia who died in 2000. And, and Boyce predicted that the great issue of our day would not be the authority of the Bible, which was an issue uh, back in earlier days with the whole liberal movement in, in the late 1800s and, uh, and right into the mid-1900s. He says the great issue of our day would not be the authority of the Bible, but its sufficiency. Would we trust it to be all that we need for life and godliness? Or would Christians turn to other revelation and experiences? Keller says that Jesus Calling, the book Jesus Calling, represents just that trend. Young had the Bible, but found it insufficient. And so if you want to know how to grow in your discernment, I encourage you to study the Word of God and to listen to the Word of God as it's proclaimed. Know what it says. Uh, as, as Psalm says, hide it in your heart. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved by, to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, ha- uh, handling accurately the word of truth. 1 Peter 2.2, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow. It'll help you to discern because the Bible is infallible and it is true. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every uh, word of God is tested. And it is perfect, as we read in Psalm 19. You need to know the Bible. A while ago, I read an article that talks about the paradox that we have today. And the paradox is that never have we have so many Bibles been published and distributed, yet never has biblical literacy been so low. And that's true, right? I was at Christian Bookstore yesterday. The Bible section is huge. With the, I couldn't believe the amounts of transla- translations. And all, most of you here, well, maybe not most of you, a lot of you here today will have the Bible just on your phone. And so it's not a problem of the Bible being accessible. It's the problem of knowing what's in it. Biblical uh, illiteracy. The author talks about the shift that has happened within society. A century ago, the Bible was the most powerful means by which people made sense of the universe in which they lived. But now the Bible contends with rival systems, he says, claiming to order the universe. Systems such as astrology, the NFL, the lottery, or the ever-widening choice of uh, world faiths that meet down the street and online, end quote. Once again, that quote just highlights the need for discernment and the need for those in the church to know their Bibles and to elevate the Bible from being a rival system to being the one true authoritative Word of God. 
biblical illiteracy rates should not be something that is prevalent in the church. But I fear it is. And so I exhort you to model yourself after those uh, noble-minded Bereans of Acts 17 who examined the Scriptures daily. Before I go on to the last three ways to grow in discernment, let me stop to say that while uh, prayer, the Spirit, and the Word are allies in helping you discern, this only applies to believers. If you are not a Christian, you will have no ability, the Bible says, to discern truth from error regarding spiritual things. I, I know that mainly, but not only, from a verse that we're going to study next week, 1 Corinthians 2.12. It says, Now we, talking to Christians, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things freely given to us by God. Verse 14 says, A natural man, an unbeliever, does not accept the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And listen to this, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the things of the Spirit, like the Bible, like prayer, is foolishness to the non-Christian. He can't understand them. So if that describes you today, then I would ask you to, to pray that the Holy Spirit might open your eyes to see Jesus Christ. And that you would come before God, repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ's death alone to save you. And if you do that, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, promises uh, to give you new eyes, as it were, to be able to discern truth from error. Well, just a couple of other quick ways that you can develop your discernment. Number one was pray. Number two, depend on the Holy Spirit. Number three, study the Bible. Number four, if you want to be more discerning, if you want to grow in that area, you need to train your conscience. Now, I could say a lot more about this, but I would challenge you to do an inventory of what you fill your life and your mind with. Did you know that you can actually educate your conscience? Or you can sear and desensitize your conscience? Here are some questions to help you take inventory. When you watch TV or movies or surf the internet or play video games, what are the things that are crossing before your eyes? Now I hear people justify, and I do it myself sometimes, justify what they allow to pass in front of their eyes by saying things like, it only had one bad scene, but it was a pretty good story. You know, if you just look past that, it it was really good. It had a little bit of bad language, but other than that, good stuff. But listen, all those little things that you allow to pass in front of your eyes or your mind add up. They'll add up. And they all eventually will affect your ability to discern. A good way to ask it is, to what do you expose your senses? Your eyes, your ears, your tastes, your touch? All of those things will either raise your ability to discern or lower your ability to discern. So don't let those things deaden your conscience. Rather, train your conscience by exposing your mind to God and to His ways to His Word. Don't just depend on an hour on Sunday. Be in God's Word. Don't just depend on a verse of the day coming up on your uh, Facebook or wherever it comes. Study God's Word. 
Be in God's Word. Pray God's Word. Number five, I didn't know how quite to word this, but this is what I came up with. When it comes to biblical convictions, don't be afraid to operate on the level of black and white. It seems like, again, under the guise of humility and kindness in an age of tolerance and acceptance, we have this preoccupation with operating in the gray areas. We're scared to take a firm position on anything. In the name of humility and to avoid any kind of confrontation or combativeness, we have no convictions anymore. But when you test everything, you just can't operate on that level. Why? Because the Bible doesn't operate on that level. If you just do a quick journey through the Bible, you'll see black and white. It starts right in the garden with two trees. And you can keep on going, heaven or hell. There's God way, God's way or all the other ways. There's the narrow way or the wide road. People are either saved or they're lost. There's eternal life or uh, eternal destruction. There's life, there's death. There's truth, there's falsehood. There's good, there's bad. There's spiritual wisdom or there's worldly wisdom. There's light, there's darkness. Wisdom, foolishness. This is how the Bible is framed. Now I'm not saying that Every area or that every issue that comes up is perfectly clear. But I would encourage you not to be afraid, after you put it to the test, to say that something is either right or wrong. That it's either good or evil. Christians need to operate more on that level. We need to be gentle and respectful. We need to weigh every opinion, but we need to be decisive and to be able to speak with conviction when it's called for. Finally, number six there, I would also encourage you to learn from those who have been gifted with discernment. Hebrews 5, verse 14, talks about the mature as those who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And then it exhorts us to be like that. All of you probably have people in your life that you can go to when you have a question about something might be a pastor or an elder or a friend or a family member that you respect for their spiritual wisdom or for their knowledge of the Bible. Ask them how they decide what's good and what's evil. What criteria do they use? How do they go about interpreting the Scriptures and being able to apply those things to their situation? Ask them to teach you. I'm sure they would be more than willing to do that. Well, I'm sure I could list more ways, but it's critical, especially in these days, to be able to listen to this biblical command to test everything. And then to hold fast to that which is good and and to uh, toss out, to abstain from every form of evil. Well, the good news, as we've pointed out already, is that God has not left us alone on this. You have an ally, a standard, a filter by which to test everything. You have in your possession God's Word, the Bible. There's no more important time than right now to use that standard to test everything, to see whether it is of God. In an age where there are voices everywhere competing for your attention, competing for your allegiance, you need to be able to wield God's Word. I pray that you'll all grow in the area of discernment by praying for it, by depending on the Spirit to fill you with wisdom and understanding, by aiming to become a student of the Bible, 
By training your conscience to discern good and evil. By having biblical convictions. And by learning from those who are mature in their faith. It will serve you well as you desire to stay the course. As you desire to not be led astray. And it will serve this church as we all seek to be a light in our community by honoring God and by presenting the gospel clearly and faithfully in all its glory to a crooked and depraved generation that desperately needs him. So may the Spirit of God guide you to that end. And may he grant us as a church to be a people of wisdom, people of discernment, people of understanding. Let's bow in prayer.